Hi everyone. This week we have a special episode of Poem Peeps that we are cross-releasing with the American Thoracic Society Breathe Easy podcast. This is an episode that I recorded with Matthew Stutz about bedside teaching in the ICU. We hope you enjoy and we'll be back in two weeks with our normal content. Welcome back to the bedside, everyone. My name is Matt Stutz, and I'm here um, with Dave Rafaro, who is a, a clinical instructor of medicine at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. He is a expert educator and has a uh, background in medical education and hosts uh, the phenomenal Poem Peeps podcast. And we are really excited to have him on the show today for this special collaboration episode between the Education Committee, the Critical Care Assembly, and Poem Peeps on how to teach on bedside rounds. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here and to talk about something that I uh, really love doing. So I'm excited to dive in. Great. Well, we're going to cover some key highlights rather than doing a case-based show today to get an idea of how we can engage house staff, meet them where they are, and, and get a sense of how we might prepare for teaching on everyday rounds. Just as a reminder, while this podcast is sponsored by the American Thoracic Society, that the opinions and comments represent only that of Dave and myself. So, I wanted to jump into the content and start with getting your sense or how you set up the learning environment. I think it's really important to recognize the ICU can be very overwhelming. And I, I personally interface with a lot of house staff and medical students who it's their first time in the ICU. So how, Dave, do you set up a learning environment that helps people be comfortable enough to actually engage and learn? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're asking the right question because this has got to be the pre-thought to any teaching that's going on. You need to have people feel comfortable, feel like they can ask questions, and then also be in the right mental state to sort of receive education. I like to say that we never want to do teaching without consent, quote unquote, right? Because generally people are not going to be receptive if they're not in the right mindset for it. I think the first thing is in general, I like to just engender a positive environment in the MICU altogether. As you said, it can be a very stressful time, especially if it's a resident's first rotation there or you have a lot of busy patients. But as people who are intensivists and in the MICU often, we should be trying to promote a culture of calm, a culture of learning and collaboration. I like to start every day around with a little question of the day. So we spend a bit of time talking about non-medical things. And I think this just brings a little bit of a positive energy. And I think the hospital can be a stressful place sometimes. And often there can be confrontation in the hospital. But really the positive attitudes or negative attitudes sort of run downhill. So if you come in with calm and positive attitude, I think that really helps. I think the second thing is making sure that people do feel safe to express their own ignorance and express their own questions. And I really think this is two-parted. One is just really being explicit, saying, I'm going to ask questions. I don't expect you to know the, all the answers. It's truly okay if you don't know them. And to express some ignorance yourself sometimes and admit when you don't know things. And the second is just to promote those questions. Say, well, I just talked about this. Can you tell me, you know, do you understand that? Or what questions do you have about that? Allowing a real time and space for those learning questions. And I think people really latch on to those. And finally, I think it's reading the environment a little bit too. If you've had a really busy night or the residents had a really busy night and there are 10 things going on and two admissions coming in, 
that's not going to be the most effective time for learning. And so you have to do it a little assessment yourself and say, today may not be the best day, but I'm going to make sure I come back to some teaching points that we talk about on rounds uh, later on. I really like that that last point of, of reading the room and getting a sense of, of where people were at. And one thing I always try to be cognizant of and kind of in that line is acknowledging the ICU is a tough place to be and, and that sometimes we're not in the best place emotionally and need to take care of ourselves. And I try to always say that at the beginning of rotations to make sure folks know that, that I'm here for them and they can take care of themselves. And if they need to step away from rounds or talk to me or debrief that, that that's always, that's always on the table. I always support that and, and certainly wouldn't think less and, and would actually think more of someone who had the insight to do that. Totally agree. I think if you have a set teaching time every morning, say a lot of people do that, but you notice that it's just not the right time for your team, scrap it, go get a breakfast, go get a coffee. It might, might be better for everybody. Right. And probably pay, pay more dividends on, on learning later down, down the road when, when people are feeling a little bit better to, to receive that. I want to talk about this later, but I, I can't help myself. I, I, I got very happy when you mentioned just acknowledging that you don't know everything. I think when I was a medical student and a trainee, I thought the attendings knew everything. And I have switched to being an attending and I certainly don't know everything. And I think admitting that and sometimes modeling, hey, I don't know this, I'm gonna look it up. And then coming back the next day with, with what you found can be really effective way to say, hey, I may not know this, I look things up, you can do it too. And so I, I want to come back to that, but I couldn't help myself there. Yeah, absolutely. When you are with learners for different periods of time and, and you're setting up that environment and you mentioned maybe bringing in things outside the hospital to kind of get people in and thinking about something they may be more comfortable with. Does how you approach it change, whether you're on the rotation with someone for you know a two week period or maybe just a couple last days of their block? Um, yeah, I think it absolutely does. I think there are multiple components to that. One is I like to know where they are in their block and where they are in their training. One, to have a sense of where I think their benchmark should be. Is this August intern? Is their first time on any inpatient service or a seasoned resident who's about to become a fellow or an attendant? I also think that burnout happens no matter what, especially if you're on a schedule that has frequent nights or a lot of hours. And so if you're on the last week of rotation, I may be more sensitive to the fact that people may be burned out or could have a propensity for that. And so that may change the key learning points or the amount of teaching that I'm going to do. So I definitely want to know a sense of how long they've been on. And then their amount of time with me influences a lot. So I have a practice of sitting down with every learner on the first day that I'm on service. And that interaction is really brief. I just like to ask them, are there things they want to learn about and make sure they take away by the end of the week? That's often in the ICU things like pressors, vent, approach to shock. And then I also ask them about a non-knowledge-based skill set that they're trying to work on, making independent decisions, teaching interns, how to organize data better, and then I can pay attention to that for the rest of the week. But if I'm only on with them for three days, then I try to make those to be really focused. I'm going to say, well, I'll focus on a couple presentations you're going to do. If I'm on with them for two weeks or I know I'm going to be on with them later in the year, we may make that a longitudinal assessment that says, I want to understand vents. And by the end of the rotation, I want to be making the initial event settings and doing an adjustment, something much more specific. And that takes a little bit more time to get to. 
That's awesome. You meet with each of your your learners on on day one to outline kind of their their goals, and that kind of takes takes us right into the next topic I wanted to ask you about is assessing what learners know without doing the dreaded pimping to exhaustion. Maybe I'm going to ask you questions till you don't know it, which which sometimes well pretty much never feels good when um, you're the one being asked the questions. Is these one-on-one meetings the, the way you figure out where learners' knowledge are at? Or, or how do you structure that when you're tailoring education to your team? Yeah, absolutely. It's part of it. I think the one-on-one meeting is definitely a big component of it. I, and I think of that as the learner self-assessment, right? So if somebody tells me they really don't understand cardiogenic shock, or they really don't understand arrhythmias, they probably at least feel uncomfortable with it and may have a low knowledge base. Every once in a while, someone really has a strong knowledge base, they just feel uncomfortable. And then I'm trying to promote confidence with them. But usually I use that as a self-assessment. For the assessing the gaps in their knowledge on my own, I kind of use two techniques. One is you just have to listen during rounds and during presentations. I like to try to remember that we could probably round and write notes in a quick way if we did it all on our own. And so the purpose of team rounds, especially in the age of EMR, when we're all looking at the same knowledge, is less to gather the knowledge right then, but more to understand how they're putting together that knowledge. And so I like to really pay attention in their presentation of abnormal data and then their assessment of plan, how they're structuring things and look for gaps or holes that I think could be helpful for them. Are they talking about the ventilator, but they don't really have a plan for how we're going to wean off of it? That may be an area they feel less comfortable. And then the second thing I like to do is have a little bit of structure to the day. So for example, we like to try to have the interns come in and talk about the drips and the ventilator in each room. And you can pick up pretty quickly when people on your team don't really understand either how to interpret that, how what actual mode we're in on the ventilator, or how we would make adjustments when we're doing it the same way every day. And it feels less like pimping. I know it maybe puts them on a stage a little bit, but we're asking for the same amount of knowledge. We normalize the fact that people are going to be communicating that knowledge. We may not comment it in some rooms and we may comment on others. And so it's not just a, hey, you, why don't you tell me about this right now? And you're on a stage for it. And so I think that normalization and standardization really helps to see where people are at. The normalization, and, and I love the idea of going into each room and, and looking at the ventilator and the drips together, and, and, and that probably provides quite a few opportunities to, to teach based on those particularly ventilator settings and mechanics, et cetera. So that sounds like a really excellent way of getting some knowledge of how much the learner knows. And, and so to summarize, it sounds like your, your knowledge assessment is two parts. One is through a self-assessment and a um, sit-down meeting uh, with your um, trainee. And then the second is probably early on and, and throughout rounds and how they present and synthesize in, information and, and where the gaps may be without kind of the uh, questioning until exhaustion technique. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the qu- pimping or the questioning to exhaustion, you know, I think it is important to be able to set an environment where you can ask questions and try to get answers. So I, I don't want to say that I would never ask questions around. I certainly do it. But I hopefully you've ha- have, uh, set up that positive environment. The second thing is I really like to try to think hard when I'm asking a question is 
am I asking this with a purpose to motivate thinking or do I just want to get to a point that I want to say? And if it's to get to a point that I want to say, then sometimes I'll say, you may ask yourself this and pause for a second and then kind of just dive into the topic that I'm teaching so that I take away a little bit of that burden of leading me there with a read my mind question. Right. So you're framing the question in a way that is less imposing. And just to be clear, I certainly ask questions on rounds too and, and try to, to, and often will ask questions around areas of un, uncertainty and really to try to get people to think about what they know and what they think would be best. And, and I'm a big proponent of using everyone's opinion to try to uh, come up with the best care plan from the patient. And oftentimes that idea doesn't start with me, which is, which is why I love being at a, at a teaching institution. So, so that, that's a really helpful framework. Along with that, when you're addressing gaps, I'm sure that those gaps will morph into some of the teaching content that, that you want to provide to your learners. Is that how you, you find the, the teaching content that you want to cover? Or do you have a more planned agenda based on what either you think you're really good at teaching or just what you think everyone coming through the ICU should know by the end of their rotation? Yeah, I think it's a, a combination where I'm working currently and where there was before where I did my fellowship at I was at Beth Israel now and at Columbia for Fellowship, there was like a set ICU curriculum of topics to talk about in the morning. And I think that's important to provide a framework to say everybody should come out of the ICU understanding shock, pressors, vents, vent weaning, non-invasive, pulmonary support, a number of other topics as well, dialysis, sedation. I think that having the flexibility to talk about those topics based on cases that you're actually seeing, though, is the best opportunity for learning. I find that I personally remember cases much more vividly, and I remember the learning points from them more longitudinally when I have a reference point or an anchor point. So I like to be able to adjust and say, we just had this patient who came in in severe septic shock and we were all in the room. We were assessing volume status using a number of techniques or volume responsiveness. Why don't we talk about the data behind volume resuscitation? And hopefully that helps people stick. So I like to do a little bit of case review and then sort of plan out teaching points from there. And then with that, there are some core topics that I think it's just essential that everybody knows about when they're coming out of the ICU. So you should not go through a rotation without talking about sepsis, without talking about the initial key components of care for that and how we're going to do our resuscitation. And so if we haven't gotten to that and it's week two of their service and I'm near the end of my week, I may take a, a borderline case and use it to make my points. <laughs> Fair enough. Are, are you having a combination of more scheduled lecture time that you back up with teaching on rounds or, or does all the teaching at your institution come from just rounds and, and kind of case-based? Yeah, there is scheduled lecture time every morning that is supposed to be during a period of time that is protected for the interns and residents to come. It's also supposed to be at a time where everybody can attend. So the overnight person still hasn't left yet, hopefully is still awake. <laughs> I know sometimes that's tough. And that's a protected half an hour, 45 minutes of, of chalk talk or didactic time. And then teaching on rounds is certainly variable based on the attending and their practices, but hopefully to happen in addition and reinforce points that are happening during the morning lecture topics. And I think those lecture topics should and can adjust based on what cases you have on service. So I think there's a plan. And if there's not a key 
uh, indicator that you should switch, you stick to that curriculum. And if something else has come up that's really a topic worth discussing, you can certainly pivot at that time. Understood. So combination of, of more structured lectures with um, trying to tie those lectures to the patients at the bedside and, and being flexible around what content is coming based on based on what comes through the, the ICU doors, which makes our job fun and exciting and unpredictable. Totally. And one thing that, that I'll, I'll sometimes struggle with is having learners from medical students, respiratory therapists, you know, nursing students, and then having a third year fellow, how to, how to engage each of them in a way that they can all get something from the bedside teaching. How, how do you address that? Because it's, I think it's more straightforward to do when you're doing a, a 30 minute lecture, but it's harder to do when you're just jumping in on rounds. Yeah, absolutely. And rounds based teaching is my favorite teaching. I try not to extend rounds too much, but I try to at least once during the day of rounds, maybe twice say, we're going to take three minutes and just talk about this case and delve into it a little bit more or some key topics. So there are two parts of this uh, for me. One is that I think we often underestimate how useful foundational teaching can be for everybody. I, you never want to say that you're teaching to the lowest uh, learner level and that's going to be helpful for everyone. But oftentimes, residents, fellows, sometimes even us as attendants, we really don't have the foundational knowledge of a key topic. And so I think a quick review of those is often helpful for people. And if you think somebody is at a level where it wouldn't be helpful for them, you could ask them to sort of set up the teaching. Hopefully you'd ask that in advance. But if you have a fellow and you are confident that they know about this well, you could say, ask them like, well, how do you think about the components of shock? And then you could take over and make your points as it goes. So I think that's one way to address the uh, disparity between them. But for everybody else, I think having a key review or a good algorithm for things is always helpful. And so I try to make sure that you're teaching broadly about a topic um, with skills that could be used by everyone. The second thing that I'll say is that for fellows specifically, or for very advanced residents, fellows, maybe even attendings that you're teaching, I think it is important to acknowledge that the broad teaching you're doing on rounds is probably not going to be at the specific level they need. And so we have think about a lot here at Beth Israel, I'm asked often to do fellow level teaching, and that may be a separate time. And so I think it's good to acknowledge that if you have specific high level teaching, you should be giving that and creating time for that. And so I'll often take the fellows at the end of rounds or later in the day for 20 minutes and we'll maybe look at it then or talk about what I think is fellow specific teaching, which will be a lot more rooted in the literature, thinking about how we assess different evidence-based medicine, maybe concepts that are probably going to be too much for an intern or resident. I think a big example is how we manage vent dyssynchrony. And if we were to spend that time on rounds, it probably would not be enough time to communicate it effectively to the fellow and be over the heads of the other learners and then thus wasted. And so I think if you're going to really do high level, fellow level teaching is what I'll kind of call it going forward, just create the time later and then make sure that you use your focus time for the foundational knowledge that could be helpful for everyone. 
Yeah, I love that idea of breaking it outside of rounds for those more. And, and I think a risk of trying to cover those higher level topics is people might feel like they get the basic topics, try to hang on for the more advanced topics. And then, they're like, oh, gosh, I feel like I didn't understand anything. And so just breaking that outside to another time makes a lot of sense. And, and I like the idea of engaging the, the senior learners on your team to teach things that you know that they feel comfortable in teaching with. You certainly wouldn't want to ask them to teach something you know they're weak on to make them yes. feel nervous or whatnot. But if you know they understand cardiogenic shock really well, maybe they'll maybe they'll do a better job in engaging with um, the learners at a more foundational level um, because they were they were there not too long ago. Yeah, absolutely. How do you how do you prepare for bedside teaching as a as a junior faculty member myself? And when we we talked about not knowing everything earlier, and so much comes up in the ICU. Are you looking at the list before rounds, maybe, and kind of refreshing topics that you know you want to hit? Do you take it in stride? What's your what's your approach for for preparation on those bedside teaching moments? Yeah. I'd like to say that you could prepare and look in advance. That being said, the realities of the world and your commitments often get in the way with that. And so I think being well prepared to take it in stride is the best technique. My advice early on to second year and third year residents is to start working on a couple of canned teaching presentations, not so that they're stale or rote, and hopefully you evolve them over time as you incorporate more knowledge and evidence develops. But so that the first time that you see someone with a condition, hypertensive emergency, something like that, that comes into the ICU, you're like, well, I actually have a little bit of a chalk talk or a little bit of a bedside talk that I do based on this topic. And I can default back to that. And, and I adjust it in over time with what's effective or what's not. So I think having some canned teaching scripts is really helpful over time. The second is that I do what we talked about earlier, which is have a little bit of a structure for what the bedside encounter is. I think there's a lot we do in medicine and specifically in the ICU that is legacy or outdated. My prime example is that we all kind of talk about the lab results when every single person is looking at a computer, scrolling through them and doing their own interpretation. And so going to the bedside should not just be a formality. You shouldn't just be walking in to say that we went to the bedside. So look at the drips, look at the vent, see if there's a couple assessment you're doing. And if you do it at the same way each time, it provides you similar opportunities. The example I'll use is at Beth Israel, where I am now, the default vent settings are actually pretty unusual ones. There's a, a ASV setting, sort of an adaptive volume control setting, and a pressure-regulated volume control setting, neither of which are the standard pressure control volume control. And so when we look at the vent every day, it's very easy from rotation to rotation to say, hey, have we talked about this unique setting? let's spend two minutes talking about it early in the rotation. And so you've sort of set yourself up for success by doing the same things uh, each time. And then the final thing is that if you are going to do something specific or you really want to talk about a unique skill like a bedside physical exam assessment or POCUS, you need to prep in advance. So you never want to be saying, we have 30 minutes to do POCUS. I'm going to go to the bedside and teach you echo and find out after 15 minutes that the patient has terrible windows. And so having a little foresight into what you're going to be teaching and making sure that you have the appropriate timing and the appropriate patient is just sort of your responsibility to be doing uh, good bedside teaching in that case. Excellent. I like the idea of having 
topics that frequently come up. And and I, I intentionally did that myself. They're, they're diff- a little different every time, but but I can go through things in a, a structured approach that that may fit the, the case at the bedside. And, and we know that sepsis is going to come up. We know that vents are going to come up. We know DKA and electrolytes are going to come up, right? And so just waiting for those little times where I can put in kind of the, the knowledge that I find to be important and, and something that I'm familiar with and this kind of off the cuff teaching. Another thing I've done is, is say, oh, I really like this teaching point and maybe there's not enough time right now or maybe I don't have a good framework for it. So maybe I'm just going to either reflect on it or maybe do a little dive into the literature so I can support what I'm going to say with a study and then come back to it the next day, especially if the patient is going gonna, is gonna to continue to be there. But that that makes makes a lot of sense. I like I like your your approach to to that as well. Yeah, I think that's a, a right point. Like you recognize a point, you can make it later, and then it also gives you the opportunity if you rely on similar ones to assess how well it's working. Like maybe the framework you have or the technique you have for teaching actually is not that resonant with a resident population, and so you are going to tailor it over time to be the most effective teaching script that you can use. Wonderful. That makes sense. And that's an awesome segue to the last topic I wanted to talk to you about is is reflecting on on what teaching session or what teaching elements were successful and, and what were poor. It's been interesting transitioning to being attending because all my jokes are really funny now, whereas they weren't <laughs> when I was a resident or fellow. And yeah, so I, yeah. I, and if you ask people, oh, well, how did this lecture land or, or did that make sense? People always say, yes, oh, it was the best thing ever. I find that I get very little written feedback about kind of specific actionable points There's that I could take and actually morph into something different. So I feel like sometimes I'm backed into just kind of reading the room, seeing if, if they're demonstrating what we talked about the next day. But but how do you get an idea of whether your teaching points are, are landing and, and what you need to change? Yeah, I, this is the toughest part. I think this feedback for at every level and, and iterative improvement is always a challenge, but something that we should continue to be focusing on. Ideally, there would be a systematic way of doing this. And so I, and when I was in residency, actually, they had a brief pilot program where you would have a little app and it would be anonymous. And right after teaching, you would encourage everyone to just say, this was a good, this was effective, or I understood these points. And that way it was done anonymously. You could get it each day and sort of say, oh, this one didn't work. So that that's the ideal program, I think, is where you can get feedback quickly uh, and honestly about your teaching. Most of the time, I think you're left with the things that you said, which is sort of reading the room. I, I like to try to do a couple things. The first is that if I have a goal to sort of teach somebody vents, let's stick with vents because it's a, such a common topic uh, and understand these modes, I may do the teaching one day and then try to ask people the next day or the day after, okay, we talked about this. Can you show me what we talked about? Can you show me that you know how to measure a plateau pressure now and then take the next step. So what does this mean for this patient? What would happen if this changed, if we found out that the plateau pressure was higher today? And so by sticking with those teaching topics, not just one day or one session at a time, but over a week, then hopefully you see that um, some of the concepts are landing or not landing. And then you have to spend a little more time or reassess your initial teaching. Uh, And that's what I usually use for the bedside and rounds type teaching. I think for the lectures and the didactics, it's really about 
looking around and seeing how engaged people are and then pushing people for honest feedback, especially at the fellow level when your teaching is going to be a little bit more advanced. I think it's really important to say, hey, I really tried to do this this week. Can you just please let me know how I did? And not a generic, oh, anything I could do better about teaching. But we talked about this topic. I feel like it either went well or it didn't go well, but I'm trying to work on it myself. Open yourself up to that vulnerability and then and see if people will give you an honest answer, hopefully. I like that idea of, of if you want specific feedback, guide people to the specific feedback topic that you're interested in rather than a general question where if you ask a general question, you'll get a general answer. No one's going to say, when you did X, Y, Z, I, I think this would have been better. But if you guide them to X, Y, Z, what could I have done better? Maybe you'll get a, a, an answer that, that will help you kind of moving forward in the future. Yeah, I think so. Hopefully. <laughs> right. Well, excellent. This has been really fun. And I've, I've learned a lot from your teaching style. And I think I'm going to take several things away from to what I hope to incorporate into my style. And I think those those brief meetings at the beginning of the rotation probably are very powerful. And I think I'm going to try to incorporate that into my practice. But did we miss anything else or anything else you think would be important for someone trying to improve their teaching at the bedside? I think the biggest other things I would just say is to empower learners and teachers. If you are a learner and something is not working for you, or you know something doesn't work for you, please tell me. If you were to say, I really just panic when I'm asked in a room to look at a ventilator, I wouldn't ask you to do it. We could go back ourselves and we could do it a different time. And if you're a teacher and your goal is to improve, you can tell your team that in advance. You say, I'm really working on my bedside teaching. I'm really working on teaching on rounds and keeping it contained. Can you guys please pay attention to this and then let me know at the end of the rotation how I did. And I think that honesty really helps people in a trusting education relationship. Wonderful. Well, I think that's a, a great way to conclude. And, and I want to thank everyone for listening. We're excited that, that you were here and hopefully you picked up something to improve your uh, teaching. This has been another episode of At the Bedside, which is sponsored by the American Thoracic Society, though the opinions and comments made here represent that of Dave and myself. So hope to see everybody next time. Thanks for being on the show, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.